you know, you got to look back and things just like fashion reoccur, right? Well, that's happening in tattooing now. A lot of things that were started then or were really popular then have come back. Whereas that time you became closer to people because there was more of a family kind of situation involved in, in the tattoo community. I still want to focus on every day getting better and how can I make this tattoo better than the one I did yesterday. You can learn from everybody. My name is Steph Bastian. In my 10 years on the road, I've met many unique characters in the tattoo business, and they all have one thing in common, incredible stories. Stories of past times, personal growth, priceless experience, and of course, bizarre happenings. I want to share those stories with you. This is Tattoo Tales. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Are you in the shop or are you home? I am in the shop, yeah. Okay. You start pretty early, huh? I start about 9.30. So okay. I come in, get set up, get ready. And I we started doing that. I usually like to lurk, work early, but, you know, during the pandemic, once we came back, we kind of scattered our schedules a little bit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. start 9.30, 10, and some start around, you know, noon, some around two or three, you know, so it kind of goes back and forth, you know. So yeah. it, it how, kind of does that. Sh shifted. How is the how is everything there with the shop? How is the situation there now? It's pretty good. You know, we're still 50% capacity in the town, you know, yeah. but as far as our shop, we're we're a pretty big shop. We have 2,600 square feet. So our oh, wow. state. Our stations were already spaced out, you know, six feet apart. So we didn't have any problem with space. So we're, we can all work with our client and not be a problem. Yeah. Where are you in Long Beach or? Mm -hmm. Long Beach, California. Yeah. Okay. And where are you originally from? I'm originally from Minnesota. So the Northern central part of the country, you know, that area? A little bit, very, very so, little. Yeah. But it, it's cold. It's uh, right up next to Canada just below Canada, right there by the Great Lakes over there. Okay. You still got family there or? I do. I have family kind of everywhere. So they, my family kind of decided, boom, we're going to go here, you know, in different directions, you know, so it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, how long have you been tattooing for, Cardi? So I started tattooing in 1979. So this will be my 42nd year. All yeah. Right. Yeah, you start to feel it. You're like, whoa, that's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just when you stop thinking about it. Otherwise, you just keep going. Then you stop or somebody asking you like, oh, wait a second, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and uh, let me ask you, can you remember the very first tattoo you ever seen in your life? Yeah, I do. I was, uh, I didn't see a tattoo till I was 17. And it's kind of weird, you know, I think when I think back. So the first tattoo, I was, you know, just hanging out with some friends. And one of the guys had on his forearm four spades, you know, just kind of traditionally done. 
Um, this particular tattoo was not good. You know, it didn't look good. It was really blown out. And that was my first experience. So I was like, whoa, that looks terrible. You know, why would somebody get that? Right. I couldn't I couldn't figure out why somebody would be attracted to doing that, you know, you know. So that was kind of my first experience of why can't they be better? Why can't they be more detailed? That sort of thing. And, and that was like in 1977. In those times, how was tattooing over there? I guess it was still a little bit uh, on something marginal. Right? Yeah. So there was, um, you know, I found out later after seeing that it was like a year or so later that I, uh, you know, ran into and got to know a local tattoo shop. There was a tattoo shop. Dave Yerku had the tattoo shop there in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was pretty well known. You know, I didn't realize he was well known, but um my husband at the time was really into wanting to get tattooed and then eventually learning to tattoo. And we happened to move into like a duplex, you know, and our downstairs neighbor was a tattoo artist by the name of Neil Grant who worked for Dave. So it was kind of funny that he became our very good friend at the time, you know? So it was just like, okay, this is, this is kind of cool that, you know, we know this tattoo artist who works at the shop but um, they were pretty busy, I think, you know, there was interest in tattooing. I mean, you know, my, my vision of tattooing was only at that time, just him in that shop. I didn't know much until I started to get to know Neil better. And then he would talk about different artists and what they were doing. And we started looking into, you know, uh, tattoo magazines and tattoo. Uh, there was a convention that came up in Reno in 1979, I think, by the National Tattoo Association. So, you know, joined that association, started getting more involved. So started learning quite a bit. So is that how it started for you? Like how you started getting into it? Yeah, it was. So I used to just sit around and sketch. You know, I'd go to work, I'd come home, I'd kind of sit and sketch and Neil would come by the house and he'd be like, wow, that's pretty good, you know? You maybe you should learn to tattoo. And I was like, uh, you know, at the time, my experience, of course, was that one bad tattoo. And I was like, no, I don't I don't want to tattoo, you know, and I started watching Neil. And actually what happened was my ex wanted to get full sleeves. So Neil decided, you know, hey, I'm going to do his full sleeves. And he came back with his first session and Neil's a pretty dang good tattoo artist for the time, Dave and Neil, you know, but I thought, gee, I wonder if it could flow a little bit better. And so I was mentioning that to Neil and Neil says, well, why don't you take a pen and you draw it on there and then just send them to the shop and I'll just tattoo it. So that, that's, <laughs> kind of, that's kind of how I started. So I would just draw it on him and I'd send him to the shop and Neil would draw it on. Now, granted, that's pretty you neat. Know, it was neat when I think about it, but it was probably really bad, right? <laughs> it was probably really bad. Yeah, that was my first, uh, you know, dragons that I drew, my first flames, things like that. I just thought, oh, let's try this, you know, and it was kind of fun. So then Neil said, you should just try it. You know, you should really just tattoo. And, you know, so the, the first step is first, you, you got to have the equipment, you know, you got to buy a, a sterilizer. So you know, waiting for the sterilizer is the big deal, right? Okay, sterilizer is going to come, then we can actually get going and try this out, you know? 
So that was my first experience in tattooing. And first one I ever did was a, a little black and gray rose, all single needle, about the size of a 50 cent piece, maybe, you know, wow. right around there. No but pressure. Was, yeah, no pressure. But yeah, it was, I was shaking. I remember just like, oh, crap, don't watch me. Let me just do this. And I thought if I just do it like I sketch, you know, that might be the easiest, you know. So that's why I did it all with one needle because it seemed like a sharp pencil to me, you know. So I just kind of did it like that. Wow. Unknowing, finding out that this whole thing is happening, you know, with with uh, Good Time Charlie and Jack Rudy and finding out it, you know, kind of in the same timeline that they're already developing this style, you know, that's been going on and making that into a shop and a street shop and having that become quite a big thing was huge, you know, at that time. And uh, where did you go from there? So from there, you know, I just started, I kept working. I mean, at the time I was doing all these odd jobs, you know, doing different, you know, I worked in a foundry, I worked in a, a I used to make donuts, you know, I was a donut baker, but, <laughs> and, <laughs> but, um, but from there, it was basically like, wow, this is kind of fun. You know, I enjoy doing this and people started asking for more and more pieces and, you know, wanting to get different things. And some of it was in color. So I started thinking, okay, well, I'm going to try and do the same kind of detail if I can and do it in color. And so I started, I remember tattooing my sister and she got this little, also again, like a 50 cent size piece. And she wanted a bird sitting on a branch with a tree in the background, this whole thing, you know. And I'm like, okay, I could do that. You know, granted now that thing looks like a fuzzy blur that you just smeared some chalk, you know, you can't yeah. see anything. But anyway, so that started happening. We got laid off our jobs in Minnesota. So the dream was at that time, possibly maybe move to California and open a shop. But what happened was after I did that first tattoo, you know, Neil took me to his boss he took me to Dave's house right and he's like showing Dave the tattoo and of course at that time this is a really bad thing you just don't tattoo you know it's still a bad thing you don't tattoo in your house and then go to your local tattoo shop and show it to the you know the owner of the shop and say oh look what I did you know yeah. I didn't know that you know so Neil drags me over there look what Carrie did maybe we should you know bring her into the shop kind of thing I've done one tattoo at this time and Dave didn't really say a word. He didn't really talk to me. So the next day he called me up on the phone and started telling me about this artist in uh, California who was looking to hire somebody who was searching for a tattoo artist. And he told me about Cliff Raven who was in, in you know, Hollywood in uh, California. And I'm like, oh my God, there's no way I can go to California and work for a tattoo artist. I don't even know what I'm doing, you know? So it just became a dream at that time that all of a sudden California was in my head. So get laid off in 1980, move out to California with the dream of opening the shop and uh, the cost of things and the reality of that is completely different when you actually get here. It took a few years, right? Granted, a few years at the time was still very quick. So I opened um, what was called Twilight Fantasy Tattoo at the time in 1983 in Anaheim, California. And uh, what did you do in the in the meanwhile? You just kept tattooing and then working and saving and I guess getting ready, no? 
Yeah. Also, we had come out on a vacation to California. I think it was also in, in right in 1980 before we moved. And we came out and we visited some local shops, you know, and we went to uh, one of those being Good Time Charlie's. And we went and visited Jack and got tattooed by Jack Rudy and Mike Brown. And uh, Mike Brown and uh, I used to talk about the flash on the wall. Freddie Negretti at the time had drawn some really great flash that they had up on their on their wall. And I was like, this is really beautiful stuff, you know, like all these designs. And and I said, and he said to me something about tattoo suppliers, right? And that there was these tattoo suppliers you can draw flash for and, and they'll buy your designs. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Maybe I can make some extra money doing that, right? So he gave me the number to Ernie Carafa and I contacted Ernie Carafa and uh, Ernie said, yeah, you can draw me a set of designs. So I think it was, I drew him 28, 30 sheets, something like that. And um, so that's what I did. In the meantime, I was drawing flash. So it started out with Ernie Carafa. I did those 28 sheets. And then I got a phone call from Huck Spaulding and Huck Spaulding said, hey, I want you to draw me some flash. So I started doing that. So I would draw one sheet a day. I'd go home after work and I'd draw one full sheet and I'd mail them off in sets of like 10, send them to Huck. And uh, that was my 50 bucks a day I was making, you know, drawing that flash, right? So that, yeah, that was yeah, pretty. Yeah. And at the time it would be like, what do you want me to draw? You know, he would tell me like, I need a sheet with this on it. I need a sheet with this on it. So I would just draw it for him. And some of it was my own thought, but most of it was what Huck wanted. Um, looking back at that flash now, it's pretty terrible, you know, and it's, uh, it's not very good. And there's a lot of things on there that I wish I had never drawn, you know. You got to start but somewhere. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but can you remember kind of how you feeling in those times? Because sometimes I stop thinking about it now, you know, you've been tattooing much longer than me, of course, but um you know, sometimes I stop and, and I remember like the first times or the first few years, how it was. And you remember this excitement you had and, and everything was feeling different. You know, have this crazy drive and, you know, making a drawing and finishing will make you so happy. Can you remember how you were feeling in those times where actually people were asking you for flashes? You know, you were doing what you liked and all of that. It's kind of crazy because I was really young. You know, I was very young at this time. So I didn't realize the impact of it. You know, if you imagine how you were as a 19 year old, right. You think you can do anything, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, you just have that drive and you think, okay, Oh yeah, I can do that. No problem. They, they'd ask me for a certain tattoo at the time. Like, Oh yeah, I can do that. No problem. You know, you just do it. Right. And you think, why can't that be done? So you just keep doing it and doing it, you know, and it was the same with the flash. What happened with that flash, which I, it's kind of amazing because I didn't know what they were going to do with it. I didn't really understand too much about how they sold flash or where it was going at the time. But we went to the convention on the Queen Mary. There was Ed Hardy, Ernie Carafa, and Ed Nolte did a convention on the Queen Mary in 1982. So this was my first convention that I was going to go work at. So I got a booth and granted, I hadn't been in a shop full-time yet. I was still working weekends and I was only there two days a week and I'd only been working in a shop for a few months. And I went to this convention and I show up and people 
started coming to me and standing and standing in front of the booth and kind of looking at me weird and I didn't understand it and then finally somebody says you didn't you didn't see around the corner and I go around the corner and Huck Spaulding's got his booth set up and there's a big banner at the top of the booth and it says flash by world famous Carrie Barba right <laughs> oh crap you know I started getting super nervous like oh my god and then he had made like a a book of it you know because I had done like 300 some sheets and so there was like this I don't know three-eighths inch thick you know book of flash and people were coming by and asking me to sign their sheets and I was slam packed busy the whole time it was pretty amazing you know wow. so I didn't understand the impact of that until much later you know but much later I was like wow that was that was my start off point right there you know like he pushed me into the business full force, you know, just like shoved me in and said, here you go. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I owe him quite a bit for that. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. And who were the main influence of the people you were looking up to the most in those times? Yeah, we absolutely have to mention, uh, you know, Ed Hardy and Jack Rudy, of course. And Greg Irons was huge at the time. Cliff Raven. Um, you know, I'm going to miss a lot of people when I'm doing this, when I'm saying this, but even Vivine Lazanga was one of the few women who was very well known at that time and doing a lot of tattoos. And she had started, I think, opened her own shop in 1979. So I believe, as far as my knowledge, that she's the first, you know, woman in the area to open her own shop and run that on her own. So that was quite influential, you know, and all of those artists had different styles, but I always felt that, you know, diversity was good in styles. So I tried to do as many different styles as I could, you know, so I tried to be good at black and gray, color, Asian styles. I tried portraits probably, and I probably did my first color portrait in, gosh, maybe 82, you know, 1982. And I thought, well, why can't we do it in color? You know, I don't see any reason why we couldn't do that. Let's give it a shot, you know? So um, those people all showed me great influences in different directions. And I know I'm missing somebody, but there's a lot of them at the time that I looked up to. He's doing this amazing stuff with Japanese or Asian influence, but creating it in his own way, you know? And you just look at it and you're like, whoa, that's so unique, right? And you know, Jack was doing the same thing with the, the black and gray, you know, so it was opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, this detailed black and gray and this Asian style, but you could even bring those things together and kind of make them work, you know, in a way that nobody had done before. So I, I didn't even think about it at the time doing something that nobody had done before. But I, as I said before, being so young, I thought, why can't you do that? Yeah, like you said, I'm sure you realize the, the the influence of that much later because in the moment, like you said, you were young. You're like, oh, that's how it is. But when you look in, when you look back now, you were right in the middle of you know this uh, hub of talent and experience and and you know genius in within tattooing. So then you realize how much you know. Yeah, I was absolutely so lucky you know, to even to get to watch them work or see what they were doing or get tattooed by them. I got tattooed by Ed in 1984. Um, 
pretty similar time. I got tattooed by Jack Rudy. Jack Rudy, at the time, he's like, oh, we're going to do something different. You know, instead of line work, I'm going to do pointillism. He did my whole tattoo in pointillism, right? Wow. So now that's a huge thing again, you know, but Jack Rudy did that, you know, back in there. I think it was like 1980 I got that, right? So, you know, you got to look back and things just like fashion reoccur, right? Well, that's happening in tattooing now. A lot of things that were, you know, started then or were really popular then have come back, you know, and they're different. They're changing. But, you know, realizing that, you know, colored portraits were already done and pointillism was already done. And these things, you know, realism in color had been done, although now it's much more developed and much better. But, you know, it, it has been done by many people in the past. So it's really cool to see all these things grow and these new styles come out um, and develop like color realism, hyper realism. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And, and so in the 80, then you open your own shop in Anaheim. Yeah, 1983. Yeah. 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 And what happened with that? Well, I was like, gosh, are we going to be able to do this? You know, the first thought is, I mean, I, I was 23 years old. So for me, I had no business background. I had no background really at all. So it was just like a leap of faith. You know, we're going to jump into this. We're going to just try this. And I had been visiting a lot of different shops. And the one thing I noticed that most shops had this kind of certain tattooy look to them. And I apologize to those people that I say this, but most shops were not very clean, right? They weren't very clean at the time. So I was like, why can't we do it a little bit different, make it nicer, more of a salon feel, you know? So we kind of cleaned it up, decorated it, you know, tried to put nice things in the wall furniture. We even had a kids section, right? Where mm. kids could, parents could bring their kids and they could go over there and they could sit and play in this little area, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was hugely important to me that the salon looked clean. And the day we opened that door, I drove up, I remember driving up to the shop and there was a line already wow. waiting. There was a line we hadn't even opened. And there was like all these people waiting to get tattooed and from day one you know it was like okay every day it was a line we'd go in and there was people waiting this waiting lined up and you know you don't have that much anymore because most of us work by appointment and you know you don't see that line at the door anymore that kind of excitement of when you come in like all right let's get going you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. let's get moving you know you didn't even eat lunch then right like i remember tattooing I would be tattooing and I'm in the middle of like a large piece or something and I would get hungry. So somebody would be feeding me, right. They would break off pieces of a sandwich. <laughs> and I'll, wow. I'm going, you know, granted at this time, we don't have any PPP, you know, we don't have gloves. We're not doing any of this. So this is, you know, you're looking back and this is my era and we're still not wearing gloves. So I, I was the one I'm like, I hate this feeling of this blood on my hands so I bought some gloves you know and I'm like I'm gonna start wearing gloves when I tattoo so I don't have to get up and scrub my hands with that ink on it all the time and um the older you know more seasoned tattoo artists were like oh Terry oh Jesus what are you doing you can't do that 
because now we're all going to have to do it. I started getting some flack about it, you know, but I'm like, you know, it's just me. I just don't, I'm not comfortable with the ink on my hands and I just feel better when I wear the gloves. So then I started covering everything with like plastic baggies and doing all that. And that was, again, just to speed things up because I thought, oh, I can change out faster and get to my next client much faster if I don't have to scrub all this stuff, right? So stupid because you still should be scrubbing it, right? But at that time, I'm 23, yeah. 24 years old. So I'm like flipping through my tattoos that way, you know, going from one to the next and not having as much cleanup, you know? But anyway, so the shop was run pretty clean, you know, you know even from the beginning. And who was in the shop at the time? At the time. So when we opened this shop, we didn't really know anybody in the business. So when we went to the convention in 1982, we had met a gentleman by the name of Tim Dutton. And he was a tattoo artist who was working out in the desert of California. And we're like, hey, you know, we got to know him a little bit. We should open a shop together, you know? So, you know, that was the plan. He and us, we were going to open this shop. And then we had met another guy by the name of Rockwood Rick. And the reason we thought three people would be better is because when we voted on situations at the shop, we felt if there was three votes, at least it would be a tiebreaker, right? So the three of us went in and opened the shop together at the time. And we were all like, geez, how are we gonna do this? We really need certain things. None of us had any money at the time. We were just all pretty young and, uh, Tim's like, I have $5,000, you know, we can open a shop with $5,000. <laughs> so that's what we did. You know, we searched around and we looked at maps, you know, we kind of were like, where are the tattoo shops now? And where can we put ours to not disturb anybody? We want to try and leave a radius, you know? So we tried to make sure we were at least 25 miles from the nearest shops that we were aware of, you know? So we went and visited those shops, tried to find a city with a lot of population and put it right smack in the middle so it wouldn't bother anybody. That's why we ended up in Anaheim. You know, 125,000 people, I think it had at the time. And uh, there wasn't any shops around until Santa Ana, which was about 30 miles away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so different from now, huh? Yeah, so different, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. like, ooh, that shop's a block away. I should open right here. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, did you travel a little bit in those in those days? Did you get to? I did not, not really. So, not too much. I think my first convention I said was 1982. Um, trying to remember, I went to a couple of different conventions in in different towns. So at the time, the National Tattoo Association was the one who did the conventions in the United States, and they would you know, basically travel from town to town, trying to make it fair for everybody to get to. So everybody would show up at that one convention. So I did start doing shows. I think my first show after that was in Seattle in 1985. Okay. And uh, so I went up to Seattle and I entered my first competition there. I entered, I think, uh, a black and gray design sheet and that's when I started entering into the, they used to have all these competitions, you know, best color, best black and gray, best cover up. You know, you do it with photos and show the progression they did. And then they did the live stuff. So I started entering that stuff. And that was when I first won my first award. And I was like, Ooh, this is kind of cool. So I kept that up for a while. Um, my first overseas 
trip was in 87. And I went to a convention over in Dunstable in, in, uh, in England. And wow, that was culture shock for me. I was 27 years old. I'd never been overseas. And I was like, oh my God, it's such a different world in you know Europe at the time as opposed to the United States. So that was yeah. eye-opening for me. It was pretty cool. Did you go to other places and like even later on? Did you manage to see like a bit more south, a bit more? Yeah, so I did some different trips. Um, I went to conventions like in New Orleans. I did a southern road trip once where just jumped in the car and arranged like guest spots along the whole south and ended up on uh, over in Jacksonville, Florida. Visited Paul Rogers at the time, saw his little mach machine building thing he had going on there. What a great guy, by the way. Paul Rogers became a very good friend. I miss him dearly. But we, you know, I stopped a lot of different shops, but and conventions every year. So they were just once a year. So part of the plan was, you know, prepare your entrances. You know, what are you going to enter to win? You know, what are you going to try to win? So draw the design sheets, you know, tattoo the people you wanted to, you know, kind of get that back piece done so you could enter it. So I started entering that stuff every year so I could just go to those conventions. I think early on I went up and visited uh, Paul Jeffries up in Calgary. Uh, did a guest spot up there. I also visited the Dutchman in uh, the Vancouver area, Canada. Um, but, you know, usually it was mostly the conventions that I went to. Yeah, it's crazy because the, you keep mentioning people and it's like a history book. <laughs> it's, it's like yeah. all, all the, you know, all the influential people you cross paths with. It's crazy. And talking about Paul Rogers, the other thing that really struck me the way you're talking about him is, you know, I interview other people that, that met him and were friends with him. And they all had, you know, they all say the same thing. You know, the last one perhaps was uh, Debyarian. And, and I was asking, what do you remember the most of Paul? Right. And she was like, you know, nobody that met him ever had a bad word to say about him because he had you know if you met him he had a big heart so everybody that met him speak in the same way you know they got touched by you know his his way of being and yes absolutely yeah along with debbie i was very 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 fortunate to be able to tattoo paul and i tattooed him i totally spaced on this so right you brought this up but at the convention in seattle um i tattooed paul rogers on the tattoo floor there and I did a portrait of his cat at the time, like dipping into a fishbowl, the fish, he was trying to get the goldfish out of the fishbowl and I put that on his chest. And Horiyoshi two, who is not Horiyoshi three, different family, was there visiting with Ed Hardy, John the Dutchman was there. And I remember Horiyoshi just coming and, you know, coming right up to me like this and staring at me, tattooing. And, and Ed's, Ed was standing there and he's like, don't be nervous. I said, I'm not nervous. This is fantastic. You know, <laughs> I said, and then he would ask me like, you know, how do you do everything you're doing with one needle? Because at that particular piece, it was all single needle. And I said, well, honestly, I don't know much else right now. And he goes, he started talking to me and telling me, well, we use this for this and we use this for this. He goes, but we don't share this with women in our country because women at that time didn't tattoo, right, in Japan. So I felt so honored just to hear all these things he was sharing with me at the time. And 
he told me some of the tricks, you know, like we'll tattoo the whole back, right? And then we let it sit for a year. And then after the year, we'll come back in with the white, right? And we'll put the white pattern over the top of the color. And that's what makes it looks like it comes and goes like a silver thread, you know? And he would explain how they did things like that. And I was just like, wow, you know, we don't know any of these things or probably many tattoo artists did, but I didn't know that. So it was, it was pretty cool to learn and hear and see all those influences. But that was one great trip was that one. Wow. What is the thing that you liked the most in those days of tattooing? That perhaps, you know, now things change and stuff. The, the thing that you got you really excited the most in those days? You know, I think back and one thing I think that was really great, and this isn't related to the actual tattooing itself, but the tattoo community was the fact that, you know, we all got together that one time a year, you know, and everybody wanted to go see their friends from all over the country, you know, so it was this big gathering, you know, and it wasn't like now where, you know, there might be two, three conventions a weekend, you know, that you could get to if you wanted to, right? And they're all over the place and there's one here, there's one there and, and people are very scattered. Whereas that time you became closer to people because there was more of a family kind of situation involved in, in the tattoo community as far as conventions went. And everything you learned was through word of mouth or tattoo magazine. You know, we didn't have, we didn't really have the internet and things like that at that time. So everything was on paper, you know, got, got to get the new tattoo magazine. Who's in it, you know, and that's how you saw the new work. But I, I think that gathering, that tattoo convention every year and the hype of prepping to get there was, was pretty cool. Yeah, more like the more scarcity makes you more valuable, more important. So it's less diluted, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I remember things like people would make comments, like the women, for instance, would make a comment and say something like, oh, she's wearing the same dress as she wore two years ago, so maybe they're shops... <laughs> But, you know, or, you know, they would try to dress up, you know, they had a, a formal dinner and not everybody dressed formally, but the majority of people would plan and dress up for that event, you know, and they would have an awards banquet, you know, so it wasn't like at the end of the night, here's your plaque, you know, kind of thing. It was, you would do all the competitions and then at the end of the show, you would have this fantastic dinner and they would present the awards and the people would go up on the stage and dressed up, you know, and it was quite exciting, you know, it was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because again, you know, like when some people, uh, you know, keep mentioning the same, like Hank, Hank Schiffmacher, you know, when he was talking about the conventions back in the days and uh, it meant that I started learning things from when back uh, Maurizio Fiorini, he passed and same thing, he would, you know, travel and, uh, meet with all these people when they used to have these old conventions in Milan, you know, and, and all these you know, international people like yourself would come. And he said, yeah, the most beautiful thing was that it was the excuse to meet up with friends, you know? So, yeah. 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 It was a good time. It really was. I mean, Jen, granted there was probably, you know, they'd have that uh, gathering and people would get to drink too much, you know, have too much of a good time, but it was only once a year. So everybody just had yeah. a great time. Good. Yeah, but that's what makes the stories, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's too many stories, maybe, but some good times, you know, and you, you're seeing different parts of the world or different parts of the country. You know, I didn't get to go to Europe too much. Um, you know, like I said, just that one time, 
I went to in 87 over to Dunstable, but that was a really great convention. You know, it was huge. And I was so surprised to see that, you know, different community of tattooing and meet different artists. Yeah, there's a lot of places I want to go. Um, the problem is, is I, I, I don't schedule it in, you know, I kind of like book myself out at the shop and I'll get booked out for the year or whatever. And then I, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I should have left time open to maybe, you know, consider going to that, that particular shop or that particular area, you know, and a while back I started, you know, I was doing conventions every time I traveled or every time I traveled, I was tattooing. So at one point I decided when I take a vacation, I need to make it actually a vacation. You know, if I'm going to yeah. take 10 days off, I'm not going to tattoo during that time, you know, so I'll visit shops in the area and kind of go see what's around, you know, but I don't actually tattoo on my, if I take a vacation now, I don't do it. Yeah. You know, like as an impression, I might be wrong, but I don't, I don't think I, I am. When I listen to you talking about this, and, and, you know, I can see the, the sparkle in your eyes, even after 40 plus years tattooing, it sounds like you still enjoy doing this today, like 40 years ago, the way you talk about it. You know, it's pretty funny because although it's always constantly changing and evolving, it still is something that I really love to do every single day. And I'm still tattooing five days a week, um, most weeks, sometimes right now, you know, I've been at 42 years so I some four four days a week you know I can't tattoo as long like I used to you know do those 12 hour sessions those eight hour sessions you know now I'm more of a four or five kind of hour person but I still want to focus on every day getting better and how can I make this tattoo better than the one I did yesterday you know how can I change it you know what can I do so I'm still striving and I think that is what keeps the the love and the energy in it you know for me is to yeah. and it's, it's the young artists you know the young artists come up and they're working in my shop or they're around me and and they're good you know these young artists right and it's like ooh, pressure you know put that pressure on you and make you strive to be better because you're going to be left in the dust if you don't get your butt up right and get moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's healthy pressure. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And uh, how would you say that your tattooing changed in the last 10, 15 years, apart from practical things and times and stuff, but like, you know, either in terms the way you see it or, you know, how would you, would you say it changed? Hmm. I don't know. 10, 15 years. So I'm still, I've evolved more back towards more black and gray, for sure. Maybe because it's what people ask me for. I've also tried to consider the longevity of the tattoo more, right? Like, so I told you about those little pieces I did in the beginning. There was so much involved in those. And then they just kind of blurred up. So I'm trying to, uh, you know, when I'm talking to a client, they want a lot in there and they want a lot of detail in there, but I try to talk to them about how it's going to last and the longevity. So, you know, trying to keep the detail in there, but still, you know, if some of that detail falls out, can it still be recognizable as what you want it to be in, you know, 20 years, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, my, what I love to do, you know, there's always those ideas and pieces that come around that you're just like stoked about. And I started, uh, I think I did my first octopus in like the eight, maybe 97, somewhere in there. And I got to do this color octopus sleep and it was just so fun. 
And I was like, wow, I'd really love to do more of those. And I do a ton of those now, color octopuses, black and gray octopus. Um, it's a huge thing for me right now. And I could do them all every day, you know? I just love doing them. I love the freedom of them and the way they flow, you know? You can, and I, I think I've kind of developed my own style there with those octopus, you know, it's not really realism, but it's not illustrative. It's kind of a mix of the two. And uh, uh, that kind of just flows out of me pretty naturally. That's her thing. Have you seen the um, the documentary on Netflix about, uh, what was it? I think it was a photographer. The, the you know. Teacher. Yeah, that yes. one. Yeah, I yes. love that. Yeah, so yeah. I had been, I was tattooing an octopus one day and one of my, uh, co-workers came in and she's like oh my god Carrie you have to watch this show so I went home that night and I put that on and I was just like oh my god so I learned so much in that one show about the octopus and the personality and, and uh, intelligence of the octopus you know which I already knew but not to that extent it's just like the problem solving aspect of that animal you know, is so amazing. It, they're, they're just so alive, you know, so real. I think they're more intelligent than we are, you know, <laughs> really. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. A different level. Uh, yeah. Karen, I'm going to ask you a couple of more things and then I know that you're busy with your with your clients. Um, if you would think, right, along, like in, in, in your long career, the best advice that you ever received, what would that be? Oh, best advice. Um, well, <laughs> you know, this isn't really advice, but I remember Ed Hardy looking through my portfolio the first time I met Ed, you know, and I said, could you please look through this portfolio? And um, most of the pieces he liked, you know, and he gave me good advice on, and then he turned the page on one of them and he's like, this is terrible, Carrie, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you have got to pay attention to every detail, you know, look at the whole of the piece, you know, and if it doesn't feel right, he goes, you can't leave it on the, on the skin like that. He goes, so you need to go back and cover this section up, change this, you know, but it's basically like, look at the whole of the piece, concentrate on the whole thing. And my advice to people these days is don't let go of continuing to try to be better. You know, don't feel stuck because I feel like a lot of people in my generation, especially, have hit a plateau and stayed there or they continue to do the same work and the same style that they were doing back in the 70s and 80s. And they haven't evolved with the times. And I think that continue to learn and, you know, pay attention to what everybody's doing and elevate your style. You know, even if it's the same, try to make it better than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, I totally understand. I've been, I've been lucky to work uh, alongside people like yourself with 30, 35, 40 plus years in the business. And the ones that I've seen that still today, you know, keep going strong, apart from the passion that they have for it, but in terms of, you know, they deliver beautiful tattoos, is that they never lose the curiosity and uh, they never let the ego, you know, take over in the sense that I see them even coming to me when there was younger tattooer or even younger tattooers and asking, what needle are you using? What color is that? What? And you're like, what? Are you asking me this? You know, because they never lose, like yourself, that curiosity and that passion for, you know, you never get to the point where you're like, oh, I know it all because that's when you're done, right? Right, right. You can learn from everybody. 
you know, the people you teach, teach you in return, you know, or the people around you. So you're constantly learning because everybody sees things from a different point of view, from a different direction. So they're going to learn things differently than you. Even my apprentices, you know, now teach me things, you know, and, and that's huge to me because sometimes it's very humbling, but you have to be able to hear and listen to what they're seeing and what they're learning, you know, and then you can interpret it into your own style and continue to grow there, you know, because sometimes they're going to see something we become blinded to. Yeah. It's a beautiful journey. 360, right? Anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Carrie. Um, no, you, people, you, you're very well known, but especially for people like on this side of the world and stuff that would like to, you know, to, to follow you, to find you, where can they find you? So this is kind of funny because normally I would say follow me on Instagram, but my Instagram just got hacked. So, <laughs> um, oh. so I'm trying to get that back, but generally I'm on Instagram under Carrie Barba and I'm also, you know, we have our website, which is our, my shop now is Outer Limits Tattoo. So it's OuterLimitsTattoo.com. Um, you know, those are probably the main places. Instagram is a huge influence now. And so, you know, going on there and searching around, you definitely find it. Uh, there's some things on, I've heard that are on YouTube videos here and there that you can do. I, I also am lucky enough to go judge at a, convention in Paris, Mondial du Tatouage, which is usually once in a year. And granted, we've had the pandemic, right? So probably 2022, that will be back. And uh, so I'll be at that show once it returns. Yes. Awesome. Then I'll see you there. That's going to be okay. yeah, so I can see. Carrie, this was very nice. I'm really, again, I really appreciate you making the time. And uh, again, you know, I really hope that hopefully things will go back to normal soon. And, you know, I'll see you in this side of the world. Yes, I know. I can't wait to travel again. It would be great. And we can meet in person. That would be fantastic. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.